Welcome to Cloud Dialogues. Everyone, we are back. We are back the first time in 2024. After a bit of a, how long did we close our laptops for, Matt? I think we closed for 10 days. Something like that. Amazing. That's like Not a lifetime enough. achievement. And we ate um, food and did some shopping. We ate some food. Yes, and hopefully did some exercise. And source and family. No, no, we're very excited to be back in 2024. And I'm so excited that we have Jez Sack and Alison McIntyre with us today from Capgemini Invent, um, Finox team. I know I was speaking about this last year, something that I'm really super excited about. We're very lucky to have Jez and Alison expertise with us today. I think one of the things that obviously I've, should I use my cloud joke again? I've had my head in the clouds for a few years now. We'll have to do that once a year, at least, I think. That, that, that's now it for 2024. I think in my few years now being involved with cloud and executives, one of the biggest struggles that I've seen is the management of financials and value. And I think one of the biggest challenges with cloud, especially like you see customers lift and shift a ton of stuff and they turn around and go, why is this costing so much or whatever it might be, or you've got like different teams spinning up different instances that are perhaps still learning and then blowing out costs or all these sort of challenges that I have seen. I think the capability that uh, Allison's team has to help customers address these sort of issues, and especially from day one, is like this is how we manage manage finances for cloud is something that's super exciting. Jazz, Allison, would you like to to give a bit of an introduction to yourselves and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I've been working in the field of FinOps for the last three years, kind of found my way in it through private cloud and optimization. And then that became, and then we moved to public cloud. Our background's always been infrastructure. So back in the day when I was delivering and and managing infrastructure, my my customers, my internal customers used to say, oh, okay, this this is how much size of machines we need. Oh, we better double it and then we better add an extra 40%. And I'd sit there going, you're spending so much. But of course, everything took so long that if I, if it took me nine months to buy that tin, get it installed and into our data center and get it up and running and everything, no wonder they went double with the bit extra. And then that would last totally. three to five years and it's okay. Yeah. Whereas now, of course, in the cloud, it's almost free for all and that. That, that's why there's FinOps. That's why FinOps exists, right? Yeah. You know, we shouldn't need it. If by rights, we shouldn't need FinOps. But everybody, as you said, Georgie, everyone, they've lifted and shifted, rushed to the cloud. Great. For good reason. But yeah. the, the same individuals that were operating in the cloud hadn't previously had to be conscious or responsible or accountable is the word that I use. Yeah. I've spoken a lot. Um, so their cost that was done in in the project world or in the PMO or when it became capital and you were looking after it or grinding it down over those three years or five years, that was done by finance. That was a million miles away from them. And their, their run costs were maybe support and things like that. And even in those days, I would find, remember, you're going to have an annual support cost for this. Like, that was even a, a bit of a struggle. So moving to cloud and this whole idea of everything being available and as much as they want 
at any time. And it has led to the need for phenol. And I'm, I'm delighted because it's my area. But at the same time, what I'm seeing is those lessons that were learned in early cloud look to be being potentially being repeated with Gen AI and the new more yeah. emerging technology. I'm seeing the behaviors of freedom, unlimited. And that worries me because like actually they're going to get to the stage where AI brings great benefits and whatever bits of AI it is, brings huge benefits and they harness something that is for good reason. But we've forgotten to be accountable and pay attention to the costs and things like that. So that, yeah, that's what I'm sort of watching. That's my background. But AI, let Jade have a a shot. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Alison. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name's Jez Back. So um, I'm a cloud and technology economist. Uh, I work with Alison, which is great. Uh, We're both um, certified FinOps professionals. That's why we love the world of FinOps. it's really interesting what Alison's talking about because I, I focus a lot about behavioral economics and behaviors that go around these things and everything that Alison was talking about around that perception of the near infinite capacity of cloud, where in the previous world, when we had the on-premise and data centers, there was scarcity. So you had a limit, you had capacity managers who said, this is how much you've got left. And then you had to fight and beg for more money in order to get more kit to be able to do the thing you wanted to do. Now where there's near infinite capacity on cloud, people don't think about that anymore. And actually that accountability has, has, has gone. So when we look at all of these sort of things about creating that, that, um, perception of scarcity in cloud, and that's driven by budget because engineers, SREs, even to a certain extent, some product owners. In their early days, we're never taught about cost accountability in their training. Right. No. Really it's like a different world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it was never, never inculcated to them as an important factor of their decision-making. That's, that's the culture change that, that we're trying to bring. And it's not that people are doing things wrong. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, oh, I'm going to screw things up today. Right. I'm going to waste some money. Yeah. 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 People don't think that way. But if you don't know, how can you correct something? So really, FinOps is not about this, this laser-like focus on, oh, I need to move from this T3A to a T3A nano, you know, micro changes on, on your infinite, on your infrastructure. It's more about culture. It's about education, empowerment, enablement to bring that accountability out to the edge. And I think that's a really, really important thing. And I, and, and to Alison's point of the first lesson and the lessons learned log is we didn't learn the lessons from last time. And that's something that we're looking at really, really hard. How can we help people not make the same mistakes again? How can we really generate that culture of accountability right from the start? FinOps is not about saving money. It's a part of it. But that's not what it's about. It's about how do we get the most from the investment to achieve the best business outcome? And that involves contact. That involves you know, trade-offs between certain things. You know, you've got governance, you've got regulatory and compliance, technology performance, and the business outcome. All have got to be put into a level of balance that's acceptable. 
sometimes that costs more money, but does it create more value? And that's the big question that's got to be asked. So that's kind of where I really kind of start from. Awesome. Thanks, Jess and Alison. One of the things that you mentioned there, it brings us nicely to, to one of the things I want to talk to you about. Matt, you and I touched on it over the course of last year. There seems to be in a lot of organizations, this real lack of transparency between finance and even accounting and then executives and IT as to what actually is costing you know, and why, what are the costs and why? There's this real challenge in terms of getting transparency within organization. And I think almost in an old world, finance didn't have to be as dynamically understanding what was going on with IT costs. But I'm wondering from your perspectives and how do we achieve better transparency? What is the solution to that? My line is on it is, it's transparency and it's visibility, but just being transparent on the cost isn't enough. Yeah. You have to add the lens, the what. The lens then of understanding. They, uh, yeah. Cloud providers will say, put tags on and you're golden. Yes. 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 The theory is really sound. You know, the theory is really sound, but the. The practice is, well, either you have tags or whether you have tags that sit outside of the cloud or anything, but you need that metadata. Let's lump them all into that. And it needs to be business driven back to the value. So when I was doing this as a practitioner, I didn't want a million levels, but I needed that level of detail that allowed me to say, I always use the phrase, who are you and where'd you come from and what are you doing? You know, so it was kind of like. Division. Oh. Sorry, it's a very old um, joke. Why are you? Where'd you come from? But you would have maybe, and you could use different language depending on your organization, but division, big business area, then smaller business area. So we would have in the old speak value stream, and then we would have our platform team, and then we would have what the application or the service was. And that was enough. All I ever needed was three layers of business hierarchy on it. I would then know whether it was dev test. I would know what, you know, various other information. I would know the, the cloud techie stuff that was being consumed, but I needed this business lens on the visibility. Otherwise, all I'm saying is we're spending X on this account or we're spending this much on compute. That's no good. You've got the visibility, but that's no good unless there's the business lens to it. And then you get the different lenses of what do the, how do the finance people speak versus how do your yeah. product owners speak and what is important to them. And getting this melee, because as we all know, there's 70 million rows of data coming through every minute. That is really useful, but it's overwhelming. You know, and that's a that's a healthy like tension. Uh, tension, yeah, that's the word. Tension between um, finance and the product owner, because the product owner is trying to deliver value, and they have to spend money. And finance want you to spend less. They finance actually don't care about the business value, right? In one, in no, they don't. The, they the don't. CFO might, because they depending on where in the org they. I'm going to agree disagreeably on that. I. I, I I've never met a finance person who doesn't care about the value being delivered. They just want to make sure that you deliver within your budgeted costs. And so, so I'm going to kind of defend the finance, finance people here a bit. Once upon a time, they 
were presented with a business case with 12 line items on it. And I could get, I can understand that. That's hardware. Capitalize that. Or lack of services. Well, I put a bit on that in R&D. And they can do all their fiduciary duty. And it was really straightforward. Now they're presented with bills that are hundreds of thousands of miles long, full of jargon and names of things, which make no sense. Even to many technologists make no sense. What what chance have they got? Okay. So they're put in a really difficult position to try and work this stuff out. They do care about value because that if the value is not being generated, then they won't have a job longer up. They actually understand that. What they, what they want you to do is, this is your budget, control it and deliver to it to make my life easy so my spreadsheet makes sense, right? That what, what we're talking about is get people to speak a common language and get a common lexicon going and understanding. Mm. That's a really, really hard thing. And so when we talk about transparency, I completely agree with Alison about the fact that the, you're getting observability and transparency on your technology landscape, but that's one part of the context. Mm-hmm. You need to get yeah. transparency and observability on how you are creating value, product owner, how you are managing your budgets, finance, how you're meeting your regulatory in compliance parts to this, and security and you know, a, a, a wider compliance piece, especially if you're working in regulated industries such as energy utilities or FS or anything else. So actually, I think people do care about value. But it's about their context. And this is, uh, yeah, this is not a, a technology-only problem, right? This is a societal problem. People, people are dumbing down context so much to binary answers, yeah, ones and zeros. It's good or bad. It's right or wrong. No, there is, your right could be my wrong in different contexts. And this is the difficult part of what FinOps, and frankly, any of the emerging technologies, you know, cloud, you know, for, you know power FinOps is a thing, but actually when you look at applying FinOps as a discipline, as a, a method, a, a, a mindset across emerging technologies, it's the same thing. Context matters here, guys. That connection to obviously like business value, like what sort of mechanisms do you think, Jez, what mechanisms can executives and leaders put in place to make sure that there is that level of information in the right place at the right time? Well, first of all, we've got to be clear about what we want to achieve. So let's, let's take an example. If you have an organization that has just been, uh, acquired by a, a property and the first part of that is going to be cost out. Everybody knows this. So this is an easy example because everyone knows that through M&As and that sort of stuff, it goes through very yeah. clear phases. Everything is going to be cost out. Then it's about value creation. And then it is about either stepping it up to sale, putting onto public uh, uh, IPO, or actually they just want to maintain that business and have it as a cash cow. Each of those three phases are very distinct about what they want to achieve. So as long as people know what needs to be achieved, yeah, and, and but for context, I, I, I used to be in the armed, armed forces. And so one of the things we used to talk about a lot was what is your mission? What is the intent? And then what is the scheme of maneuver, right? It's called maneuver warfare. So essentially what you do is you say, at the end of the day, if we achieve this mission, we've achieved success. 
my intent is we're going to go about it this way. But we also recognize that, as Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan to get punched in the face, right? Things change. You know, COVID happened. Suddenly, the entire business strategy, the entire plan was blown out of the water because suddenly the context in which we're working in the company changes. So as long as the intent is there, you, you can change your intent, yeah, as long as you are following the mission. And then the steam maneuver is, right, this is the plans, the projects we're going to do to get there. How do we measure projects and plans? Objective and key results and KPIs. But we can't be slavish to them, right? When we've achieved a, a, a phase or an effect within a certain epoch of time, let's change the KPI, change the OKR, yeah. because we are moving toward the ultimate aim and outcome. Again, th th this is back to the, um, you know, the fallacy about target operating models and things like that, where you say, right, well, that's it, we're done now. Don't to do any more. No, no, that's, that's just now. Yeah, it's now well, that's just the the, yeah. the 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 beginning of the end at the start of the beginning of the next phase of, of, of epoch of time, right? It's always moving. It's a really uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people. Actually, when when you talk about it in those terms, people get very uncomfortable. They like to know that there's an end goal, right? If you just go back to basic psychology. It's part of those little wins. You, you talk about, you know, how do you motivate yourself to go to the gym? How do you motivate yourself to keep on a diet? How to take the little wins and build it up towards a big win. But once you get there, once you get to your target weight, you know, and you've lost a bunch of weight, do you then go out and say, why well, I'm eating pizza and drinking beer all day? No. <laughs> it's a lot of people do it's though, changed. right? Yeah, that's right. Well, guess what? You know, that's called discipline, right? And this is about having a very clear mission about where you want to get to, strategic objective, business strategy. It's about having an intent, but allowing that intent to evolve according to the situations presented in front of you. Yeah, so you remain flexible enough, but as long as you are pointing in the right direction, that's good. And then as a result, you create your little scheme of maneuver, your little projects and plans to do it. That way, individual engineers, individual people, as long as they are pointing in the right direction and they are working hard to go going that way, they're doing the right thing. You might need a little nudge just to bring them back in, but ultimately they're moving towards the right objective. That's the way I reckon. Georgie, I wanted to come back in on your, to, to link it to a point you said right back at the beginning, you know, with your head in the clouds. Loved it. To need to steal that. I love a TV. New Year. New Year, you need to very light. Very with it. Very light. Um, <laughs> yeah. The name of the better for me, though. Lift and shift. And Orgs are still yeah. in that position. And they're still, you know, Orgs are still yes. doing lift and shift. And it's for good reason. Well, so long as that decision yeah. is made for good reason. But understanding that then you're, to Jez's point, you're not done. You've got a phase yeah. two. You, if you need to get there quickly, you can lift and shift is always your friend. If you need to get there cheaply, lift and shift is always your friend. But the tale of that is a different, is a different story. You need to look at that through the next set of KPI lenses or the next set. But orgs that have lifted and shifted, who haven't yet sort of maybe got on to, right, what is, what is our next priority strategy? And it's strategy potentially with a small act. Oh, we've moved to the cloud. Oh, we're done. No, we're not. But that's where it can get really difficult for big enterprise organizations that 
kind of know what the server mostly does oh, and then it's become a VM back in the day it was a hub it was a pin server then it was oh, I'm a VM and now it's a now it's a server in the cloud but oh god it's shared and oh well you know what's the main app but there's all these secondary and tertiary apps that are or services that are running off it yes. and trying to yes. detangle that yeah how well to get to what is your value so the struggle I see and have had is that FinOp comes from a quite an, uh, and I'm completely behind it, but that's theoretical and it, it's magic for born in the web, born in the cloud. It, you know, you from the beginning, organizations that have got cranky old ancient mainframes and vast arrays of, that they're lifting over that they, they don't necessarily have a top-notch CMDB. They've got a good CMDB because they've done a lot of work, you know, 15 years ago. When I, I know I talk still big, but was really big back then. So they've got a CMDB, but those relationships, which was always what was the lifeblood of your CMDB, aren't there. And if you can't, they're the ones that allow you to pull out all of the yeah, giant right. tangle of wool. So if you're yeah. saying, I need value, and you've got this kind of melee here. So what Jensen's talking about was really nice and clear. And if you can get it, finding it, picking it apart to get that clarity to say, okay, I don't know the whole picture, but here's my value statement. Number one, this is what we're trying to do, or this is what we've done. And this is what matters. And I often find that, you know, folks go into KPIs and people either sort of love them because they're a measure, right? Say how good we are. But they're not real. Although the KPIs are chosen because they're easier to measure instead of actually being on yes. value. Yes. You know, you, you hear us overusing the word value. What do they mean and do they drive the behaviors? But you don't have to boil the ocean. You know, you can just go out, I'm going to pick apart this bit. I'm going to understand that and I'm going to go, actually, we've lifted and shifted. There may be other bits in it, but can we put a line around it and say how we make that cloud native and actually benefit from it, taking it to the cloud. And then you're bringing in the disciplines with DevOps and things like that and the, the, the code instead of it just, because otherwise it's just being dumped in the cloud and there are other yeah. layers of people making profit by you dumping it in the cloud. It is going to be dearer than running it yourself. You can and sure so you can... Um, full circle, isn't it? Yeah, you can sort the spreadsheet, right? Top, top to bottom and you'll suddenly see all your license costs or all of and you can't forget the licensing, right? Because that won't appear in your cloud bill a lot of the time. The, the licensing will be hidden so somewhere else. Entirely, it, yeah. A lot of the time. It's such an important it. point, right? Is, is that it, it's quick, to, it's easy to assume that we are, in, you know, we are evangelical about cloud and that everything should be on cloud. Then that's not the case, right? We, we don't no. think that way. If we think yes. about where, where is the best effect or rather, actually, I'll put it a different way. Where is the least worst decision against all the trade-offs of governance, security, compliance, business outcome, finance, technology performance? What's the least worst decision we could make? And that as a result, sometimes that means on-prem. Yeah. Sometimes that well, means absolutely. private. Sometimes that means public cloud. And, and people get really het up and evangelical and get very shouty about, well, you know, multi-cloud is a complete disaster. Well, it is in some contexts, 
if you mean that you're trying to gain mastery of all three of the power, major power service providers at the same time, yeah, that is normally going to be a disaster because that's very, very difficult to do. But do you mean multi-cloud as in a private colo and a public cloud and you're running yeah. separate all the is gray. Yeah, Sorry. all the shows. They're very different contexts. So actually, you know, labels sometimes can be unhelpful. Context here is really, really important about actually value is driven from making the least worth decision in balance with all of the things that are competing for, for attention. And that's okay. Let's be honest about it though. You know, we can dress it up anywhere we want, but when we come down to the fundamental tax of it, that's what it's about. Active decisions again. We talk about. See, all of these go through, they're kind of at the fundamentally at the core of synopsis. They should be fundamentally at the core of sort of everything. Make a decision on what you want to do, understand your why and why you're making your decisions, say to lift and shift, say to leave some behind, say to upgrade and do it the hard way. Active decision. And it's at the heart of what a business case would be. Why are you doing it? What benefits do you expect out of it? What are your options of your road to take you on that journey? And what might your fuel consumption be and your number of stops and all of that? Make your, make active decisions. I think, I think there's a little too much, and this isn't just in cloud or in organizations, there's a little too much on the fleet walking into things, dare I say. And I think as a, as as people, you know, I, I'm I'm absolutely to blame. Oh, oh, oh I think I need a, a new baking tin for Christmas because I haven't already got fifty of them stacked in my back kitchen. But I need one this size. Amazon, thank you very much. I'll have that tomorrow. I live out in the country, so I'm like Londoners. It's not same day, but even even in the you know getting it the next day, it's, it's that amazing. on and being um, it allows me to be a bit. Hannah carefree because I know I can always get it, but instead I'm probably being a bit careless, just in a personal level. And therefore, that if you sort of iterate that out, we, yeah, active decision, knowing your why, because if you know your why and you keep your why all the way through, you get to keep then checking it. To, to Jen's point about what stage are you at when you aren't going to IPO or what your priorities are, what your KPRs, all these the rent quite simple but it you need to consciously look after it pay attention to it see where it's shifted to so you can update it and i think it's that lack of consciousness maybe back to what we were saying of all right i've done it now and i've i've built the cloud or i've done my old model the uh i'll just crack on making money i don't know there's something there's something in my mind that's there that consciousness I really agree about the consciousness part, Alison, because the, 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 the next step I would take on from that would be also getting comfortable with asking yourself the very uncomfortable question of the way we've been doing it. Yes, I know it's worked, but does it really, really work for us now? So, you know, the most dangerous world, words in the world, Grace Hopper quotes, you know, it's because we've always done it this way is the roots to some of the best amounts of saving and efficiencies are found for clients. Because you have people who, when they're put in uncomfortable positions, will retreat back to their points of comfort and go, well, well we've always done it this way. It's safe. Can't, can't be blamed for this. 
I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, actually rather than saying, uh, well, it's not the best way. It could be better. Maybe we should look at doing it better. And, and you know, there's an easy, easy, you know, do you want to do better things or do you want to do things better? We should be asking ourselves these questions all the time. Yeah. And getting comfortable with saying, you know, are, are we actually, you know, the, th the decisions we made, are they still relevant? Has the context moved? Are they still right? Yeah. I mean, the whole, where did Agile come from? Fail fast? Rather than hanging on and hanging on to the end of the waterfall project and then finding out that it's, yeah. All, all of these things are rooted in basic psychology, right? In basic behavioral economics. Go back to basics. That's what it, that mean, that's what it's all about is actually going back to basics, starting in concentric circles from yourself and working outwards. That involves discipline. And that's why this is hard. And that's why um, the cloud helps, right? Because it, but it forces you to look at what you're doing. It forces you to change your operating model and it forces you mm. to um, find alternate ways of delivering, you know, that thing that was running perfectly fine in the data center, which wasn't costing, you know, it's costing a fixed amount, right? Suddenly you move to the cloud and you've got this not very you much not fixed amount. But, 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 him, but this is a great, great example of yes, but in another context, no. no. Because if I carry on building stuff like I did in the data center in cloud, yeah, you're going to create. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's where a lot of organizations end up, Jez. Like they, they, they almost don't even, like I've had clients that basically hadn't started their migration journey, but somehow they were billing up hundreds of thousands of dollars a month I in cloud, right? And it's like, how did, we, already... how did we get here? Like, how did we get but here? Like, it's actually being used. It's a different budget, Georgia. It's different money. Budget. Yeah. It's a dopamine hit. Oh, bang. Done and gone. Right. Move on. Right. Look, 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 look at devs, right? I'm, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to devs as well. They've constantly got product owners and SREs over their shoulders going, get it out, get them out, ship it, ship it, ship it, ship it. But I've got a few bugs. Don't worry, we'll fix them later. They never go back to and fix them later because they've got to go and do the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing. That's the right. Thing, they'll the never thing. go back to it. Yeah. They'll get back to it if it actually adds business value. Um, yeah, but I mean, no step twice, right? Let's fill that into our sprints. But yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask. Yeah. Do you, do you guys see, um, so do you guys see a centralized FinOps team as, as popular or as a, should it not necessarily be a, a dedicated role but distributed yeah. between different mm -hmm. teams? Sort of like security, right? So security should be kind of everyone's responsibility, but there is a central sort of risks governance team. So I, it might be a can of worms, but I'm just interested. No, I'm quite opinionated. So it might be a can of worms, but I'm, I'm. So I strongly believe talk that about they it. need to be a core central team. Right. I think right. that they aren't responsible. I think you need, and that team might be one, that team might, or I worked, there was, you know, eight to 10 of us. You need someone who's evangelical. You need someone who is pushing that out to your point, man. Security is everyone's problem. They're not a problem. Responsibility. They're not, it should be everyone's responsibility. You need someone to help them, to evangel evangelize even, to police them sometimes, to hold their hand, to cajole, to carrot, to sit, to, to inform, to go, why are you doing that? Let me help you break down the, the value because we've already said everybody is really busy. They, 
they're later. So that central team has lots of responsibility other than just I create the FinOpter or yeah, anyone, you know, anyone can do that. I do charge back. You know, actually, because they're the ones that are the glue. They pull finance in and say, well, actually, we need a chargeback model that covers all of our shared costs. But for our product owners, we don't want to be adding such an uplift to this because we want them to be able to get the value, but they need to see the total cost. Right, finance, how are we going to do this in the early days so we don't charge our early adopters too much? And then it'll balance over time, right? And then you've got procurement and you're saying, well, you're signing up to a huge bar commitment. Okay, great. Look at you. You've negotiated off a super discount on that commitment. But yes, here's the ripple effect. So they're kind of like that. You know, people talk about a bit of a spider's web, but then I imagine a really bad spider sitting in the middle. So I don't do that. But they're like the, the beeping heart of it. But to get it right out to the edges. So I feel still asked to be something central that is their responsibility, not a side of desk job. That is what we are here to do. And I'll shut up with my soapbox. I, I completely agree with Alison, right? You, in order to bring change, you need someone who can bring the change. Who can, exactly as Alison said, is evangelize. Everyone's struggling with that word today. Evangelize the story, educate, enable people, right? The hardest thing is to get people to accept they have accountability and responsibility for something. And when they do, it's fine. But until then, you will always have this battle. And the change agent, this is why FinOps people, the FinOps community, you know, everyone will say this about their own types of community. The one thing that's really special about the FinOps community is that really good FinOps practitioners are polyglots. They, they, they understand technology, they understand a bit of finance, but more importantly, they are change agents. They can bring enough awesome will of personality of, of charisma on you know, almost salesmanship to bring that story to people to make them want to change. Like I said, right at the very beginning of the podcast, you know, let's do the full loop back to the beginning, you know, is it's about culture more than anything else. You need a, a, a person or a team of people, depending on the size of your organization, to go out and tell the story. You can script. You can buy tools and all of that stuff for all of your dashboards and reports and fire them up to whoever needs them, you know, to different personas who need them. That's the easy bit. The hard bit is going out and engaging with people and making them want to change. Bringing the accountability to them. Not doing a towel. You know, I'm a strong believer in, in making sure that I brought people along with me, but they would say to me a while. Well, how much am I going to spend out? <laughs> how the heck do I know? Um, what are you going to do? Well, we don't know. Well, maybe you shouldn't be coming into the cloud then. These are folks who are bringing new apps onto the cloud. Well, maybe you yeah. Maybe you're not ready. Oh, no, no, we're ready. Oh, well, what? Should we put it down as £5,000? And they go, oh, it's not going to be that much. Oh, okay. So you do have an idea of what you're going to do. And, you know, it's that sort of... I, and then I used to be told, oh, just go out and tell them that they need to do forecast. Like, that's not going to work. It's just desert language, agents of change. And that, you did. And don't get me wrong, there were times when I would be the, you know, the nag and the police, but 
support them to be better. Them being whoever they are, it goes right out to the edges, but that is the, the power of a central team. When resourced right, with those people that have that passion in Pinot, sounds so nerdy, doesn't it? But they, 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 they do exist. <laughs> yeah, it's the coalition of the willing. When you find someone in technology, in finance, in procurement, in product owners who, who gets it, you form the coalition of the willing and you leverage them as well. Because if, if one voice is shouting, everyone thinks you're a lunatic. Where there's 10 voices shouting, people think there's a point. I'm normally, I'm normally the one person normally. shouting. So well, I think, I think I have always been motivated by the fact that I have seen so much conflict as a result of costs blowing out that I am concerned about it. You know what I mean? Like that we can actually avoid yeah. a lot of the hoo-ha within the organization if we put the right mechanisms in place with the right people. Yeah, that's right. I think I think it note, helps them be safe. You know, organizations feel a bit safer if, if there is somebody in the center. Yeah, it's responsibility yeah. out there, but there is somebody kind of just keeping an eye on the clock just in case they forget. Totally. Accountability monitoring. Layers of accountability. Yeah, yeah super important. Yeah. On that note, thank you. I think we probably better close up. Thanks so much, Alison and Jez, for joining us on Cloud Dialogues. First, start off a new year with keeping your cloud costs low. If that's a new year's under control. Getting more value control. from your cloud. Oh, more sorry. Value. Yeah, more value. You are maximizing not keeping maximizing value. I will obviously tag in when I put this all on LinkedIn, I'll tag Jez and Alison for anyone that wants to get in touch with them. And if anyone has any feedback, email feedback at cloud-dialogues.com and also on our website cloud-dialogues.com you can find a, a google form if you want to have if some you anonymous, want to be anonymous. see you long. next time Lainey. bye